you have your Bible, I'm going to be reading out of Acts chapter 2, but referencing all over the Bible, which some say is a bad way to preach, but it's too late. It's already in my notes. This is a description of the early church, even amidst infighting and external persecution. This is still a description of them as a, as a growing community throughout the Middle East and Asia Minor and beginning to come into Europe. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. When I was 14, I was at a camp and we went spelunking. It's a fun word to say, caving. And we were given headlamps and encouraged to explore this cave. And I remember looking down um, in one larger room into a another large room, but I, d- I could not figure out how to get down there. And I asked the guide, can we go down there? And he said, if you can get down there. And I'm 15 and not as brave as some of you, perhaps braver than others, who knows. And I couldn't decide, and I, I can't even remember now whether I went down there. We continued exploring for a while, and they, they took us to a large room that they called the clay room, I think. My wife's not here, so she won't know if I'm right or not. Um, she also went on this caving expedition. And we all made little sculptures of whatever we felt like and put them up on a wall, and that's when we noticed that there were thousands of these. So thousands of men and women had come through this cave before, and they asked us to turn off our lights. I don't know if you've been in a cave before and turned off your lamp. You wait for your eyes to adjust, and it doesn't happen because there's no light. And they started asking us pretty good non-leading questions about the experience. And I remember what encouraged me was the people that had gone before me into this place. What was keeping me from being more scared, I was scared, but more scared, what was keeping me from being more scared was knowing how many women and men, roughly, based upon the sculptures up on a wall, had gone before me. And I long for you to be similarly, similarly encouraged by the book of Acts. Over the last three summers, we've been um, getting after it about one chapter at a time and sometimes interspersing letters like Philemon and Jude and pointing out the importance of the Jerusalem Council because the book itself is very long and lots of the other uh, letters and things happening in the early church were happening at the same time. And so the timeline of the book of Acts even transcends itself in terms of the rest of the New Testament. What I want to encourage you is this was a church and a series of churches and leaders that didn't always get along or even perhaps often get along. And yet, because of the love of Christ, they continued. This is a church that was being persecuted by both the the governmental systems that existed in, which were several, and Luke gets exactly right, as far as we can tell, all around Asia Minor and the Middle East and Europe. And they were being persecuted in various ways, sometimes because of economic reasons, sometimes religious reasons, sometimes because the government was just unsure of what they were talking about. Is it 
um, monotheistic or polytheistic, you know, talk about the Trinity is sometimes confusing. And yet the church continues to grow. Out of about six or seven house churches, probably with between 25 and 40 people, now, today, there are almost two billion people just alive today, not even throughout history, who claim to be Christ followers. And so I, want, I long for this book to encourage you that men and women have gone before us. And yet it's, a, it's an interesting book. The level of detail we get on some things and then we don't hear much on others. Acts chapter 12 is, is one that throws me off a lot. It's when James is martyred for the faith. Not James who wrote the book of James, Jesus' half-brother, but James the disciple is martyred. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what a blow that must have been to the church. What did they do? I'd love to hear about the funeral. You know, they don't teach you how to run funerals super well in seminary. There's not a scripture, so we have to kind of make it up. No, that's not what happens. Peter ends up going to jail. Do you remember this story? And uh, they pray fervently for Peter, and he's released through an angel. And then he gets to the house where all the Christians are praying, and he knocks on the door, and Rhoda, that's her name, answers the door. And she doesn't let him in because she's so excited. And she goes back and tells everybody, Peter's been freed. And they're like, well, uh, you had a vision? Because there's no Peter here. And he's still knocking at the door. And the level of detail about him knocking and the woman's name who answered the door and how she didn't come to get him and then how the jailers had to pay the price for this angel coming. And all these questions come up and all this detail. And then there are other stories where we get far less detail. And what's happening is chapter by chapter, historically, and theologically and humanly, these men and women to get along. They're learning to study the Old Testament and understand Christ in light of it. They're being persecuted, and yet people are coming to faith. And the reason that I want you to encourage for that to encourage you is not only because it happened, and the veracity of the book of Acts is incredible. The historical and archaeological truthfulness of it is worth noting, regardless of whether you're a follower of Christ or not, but also because the way the book ends leads us to an understanding, which is now it's on us to do the same thing, to learn to worship and do community and be a faithful presence where we find ourselves and continue the mission of the church. When we worship together, what we're longing for is to be and become a formed people. Men and women who are formed in the way that Christ leads us into. As Mike prayed against some of our tendencies and for <laughs> longing for our lives and our words and our stuff and our bodies and our thoughts and our temptations to line up with Christ's. Our worship service is designed to guide us into that. And I think you already know that. I hope that it encourages you as we take the call to worship, as we sing together, as we confess our sins, as we open the word together. I think that part is, is I think you know that. I don't know if you do. I can't read your faces, especially with sunlight hitting some of you and shade hitting others. Here's the thing I wonder if you know. Your worship is the most profound act of spiritual warfare you can do. And that, that might raise all sorts of questions in your mind. Let me say this very briefly. The Bible is clear that there is a supernatural world that overlaps with ours, and it matters. So if that's true, and there is an evil one, 
And his, the very last thing he ever wants for a human is that they worship the Lord. Then your songs and participation in confession and prayer are the most profound pushback on the forces of darkness. And I don't want anyone to be afraid because the forces of darkness are not opponents of the forces of light. They're adversaries, meaning they're on an entirely different level of power, no power compared to Christ's. And yet they exist, and God has not yet made all things new. He has not removed sin and death, and therefore there are still spiritual forces, and your worship is the most profound pushback on those. And so I long not only for us to show up and enjoy worship, I long for us to participate. How we do that around here is music, ministry of the word, ministry to our children, through hospitality, through greeting, through prayer, giving of our money. (laughs) And this morning, it also meant using a flamethrower to clear out the walkway. Some of you were were here right at 9.30 and didn't know that there was a flamethrower involved in clearing the space of worship for you. God formed you. Sin marred you. By grace, through faith, the Lord Jesus reforms us after raising us to new life by giving us a new heart and is even now conforming us by his love to be lovers of him and neighbor. And so how do we continue the tradition of the early church? By worshiping and continuing to learn to worship and participating in our local gathering. They also ate together. And and, and community and church is such an interesting and easy to talk about thing in some ways and so challenging to talk about in other ways. Can I simply point out Why do I do that? Why do I ask you a question? I guess it'd be interesting if you all said no, move on. Go straight to point four. Well, that'd be so weird. Please don't do that. (laughs) Unless I'm really off. The thing we long for most often and, and, and recognize most easily in our own hearts, most quickly, is the thing that scares us, isn't it? The thing we long for is often the thing that scares us. We long to be known and loved in community. And it's terrifying because we have been hurt. Because people don't know us that well. The look on my wife's face when I forget something that I should remember, it's amazing. And I don't know what to do about it except write things down more often and ask for her forgiveness again and again. And the reason that the look is on her face is she has not forgotten that thing. And in that moment, She wants to be known by me, which means remembering, and I don't always. The early Christians ate together. They learned to do community with one another. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Almost every Y-O-U in the New Testament letters is a plural. The full expectation is that we learn to worship and to be good neighbors, and the scriptures and prayer with one another and from one another. 
And perhaps the, the, the book pastors like preaching on the least after Revelation is Corinthians. I don't know if you've read Corinthians. It's a very long book. And if you read it backwards, like, why did Paul need to say this? Oh, that's because that was happening. There's a guy in the Corinthian church who's sleeping with his stepmom, and they're sitting together. I'm serious. You think the Bible's boring. Sometimes the language misses us. And Paul essentially tries to wave his arms with the written word, say, pagans don't even do this. What are you doing? And yet the church continued to worship. And I believe they had some conversations with those people because that letter was read aloud to those 30 people. (laughs) It would have been fun to be a fly on the wall or sitting in the pew. My point is they continued to press into community, though it's risky and challenging. And we need to press into it also here. How we do that around here is we serve one another. We have men's and women's groups. We have youth, small groups. Our deacons are the outlet by which we uh, serve one another as referenced in Acts chapter 2. And yet, if you go and read the pastoral epistles, Acts chapter 2 is so beautiful and it was so new and people were so passionate. And a few decades into that, in the 60s probably, when Paul wrote those letters to Timothy, he was saying, so you need to have a list of who we're serving, and here's how you curate that list. Because they're still passionate, and yet they had to find ways to do it. And that, we, we leave that to our deacons, who are phenomenal at serving one another. Learning or, or moving into community, either at this church or at your local church, is risky, and it's worth it. And it won't be worth it in every moment, because it'll be challenging. You'll be confronted poorly. You'll be confronted well. You'll have to confront someone. You'll do it poorly. You'll do it well. And yet this is how we grow up as worshipers of God and as neighbors. So the early church worshiped and they ate together and they were faithfully present. A couple of months ago, I listened to a podcast and it summarized the generations. And some of you love generational research and some of you think it's unimportant. And and I don't know how important it is. You know, birth order, personality type, generation stuff. This stuff is as helpful as it's helpful, right? Somewhat. But the person who wrote the book and and was being interviewed by the podcast that I listened to was describing the, the generations as essentially going back and forth between caution and optimism. And I... That seems to hold true to me. And the reason I think that matters and the reason I'm bringing it up when discussing this part of the church is some generations are very into calling and they want to know their role in the world and it's individualistic in a way that I don't think the Bible would would fully affirm. And others are not interested in that. Just let me serve. I I I don't need to have a role. I don't want to have a microphone. Like... And the Bible is gently pushing back on both of those, regardless of whether you're cautious or optimistic, regardless of whether your gifts are obvious to you or not. The calling of every church and of every Christian is to be faithfully present where you find yourself. I'll tell you a secret. Don't share this with anybody. I once got the distinct pleasure of getting to give a local TED Talk. And part of the reason I don't want to tell you that is the sound and the video quality are terrible, so I don't want you to go look it up, but I told you, and you're going to do whatever you want to do. 
What I didn't know is that, um, and some of you probably would have understood this instinctively, the crowd that comes to a local TED Talk at a brewery in St. Louis, they don't want to hear from a pastor. And I was one of the last presenters, and I stood up in front of them, and even though I can't read your facial expressions, far more warm <laughs> than that day. But and the, and, the, and the talk was called The Role of a Church in a Civil Society. And what I said was this. The role of a church is to be faithfully present to the needs of that community. We do that as individuals, and we do that as a gathering to the best of our ability within our limits. And I don't, my PowerPoint wasn't very good, and I don't know how it went. But sharing it with you, it is our calling. In Acts chapter 17, you'll see Paul walking and talking with people from Athens and quoting their poets and in other sections, in, uh, in just a couple of chapters before, you'll see him speaking to more religious congregations and his words are thoughtful towards the culture that he's in. So being faithfully present means we're aware of the culture and how we talk about the hope that is in us. It's also how we serve the least of these, the groups that, Math- that Jesus talked about in Matthew 25 as individuals and as a community it is our role to serve them within our limitations. So how do we do that here? Well, did you see the big squeaky wheels of conviction basket back there when you got your bulletin? That's for the food pantry. And every month we take food and we deliver it to Eno Hall where Simsbury distributes it to those who are in need. This is not even close to one of the neediest communities in Connecticut. And so it would be easier for me in a lot of ways to drum up support for a needier community than this. But our church is here. And so when there are needy people here, we do our best to serve them. Now, that's not all that we do. We serve in other places. Our youth are going to a, a soup kitchen. We've adopted a social worker. There are a number of other things that we do. But our role is to do that here. Um, this is an uncool but clear part of our calling. Maybe it sounded cool, I don't know. When I was writing it, it felt uncool. To be faithfully present does not sound exciting or passionate to a lot of people, and yet that's the call of the Christian. Do you remember when you were passionate about the faith? Perhaps you didn't have a, a similar experience to faith as I did, but I remember when I weep and worship and felt so ready to give all I had. Of course, I didn't have anything, you know, but I was ready to give it. Now I'm older and I have children and responsibilities and I just paid off my car, which is so nice. And I'm thinking about all those kinds of things. And yet the call on the Christian is the exact same. Just to be faithfully present to those in your life and to the area that you're called to. And the purpose is to honor God and to serve one another and to flourish. How else are we going to remember the good news if we don't learn to worship, if we don't do community here, and if our faith doesn't have action in our week and month, I don't think we're going to. How else do we remember the good news of Jesus if it isn't involved in our weekly rhythms and we're not speaking with one another about it and it doesn't send us into action in our community? How else do we know our calling I love to talk about the individual parts of calling because people often will ask me, how do I know what's mine to do? 
What am I called to do? And I talk about the individual parts of it. And those are your gifts and your circumstances and your affections. You hold them up before the Lord. You hold them up before your community and in prayer. And that's how you learn what is specifically yours to do. But what about your general calling? Your general calling is the same as the church's general calling. It's to worship because God is God and you are not. And he is worthy of worship. It is to do community in the place where you are. And it is to be faithfully present. And this doesn't sound individual enough for some of us. And this sounds too individual for some of us, right? Our individual calling is like, that sounds a little arrogant to some of us. And yet our general calling sounds boring and mundane. And we know we're unique. The two meet Your individual calling and your general calling speak to one another and they encourage you not only about your role in the kingdom but that your role is part of a gathering. That's part of a history that that, that began 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead and the church of Jesus Christ was formed and began worshiping on Sundays and began eating together and began learning to be faithfully present where they found themselves. Much as the same way I was encouraged when we turned our lights off in the cave that hundreds and thousands, really, of men and women had gone before me, I hope that you're encouraged that in the book of Acts we see and read about the women and men who have gone before us in the faith, worshiping, doing community, being faithfully present. I hope that encourages you, not only because I want you to be encouraged, because now it's on us. And I know it's Sunday of Labor Day. Like, this is the, I'm preaching to the choir. You're the people that are not out of town because you care about church, at least in part. Maybe you just got back this morning or last night. Now, it's on us. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, would you guide us as individuals and as a gathering Would you guide us in making much of you? Knowing how to speak the gospel to one another and to our own hearts. That you love us and that because of the work of Christ, we are redeemed and reconciled. Holy Spirit, would you guide us as individuals and as a gathering that our church would be as pure as possible this side of heaven. Pure in our worship. Pure in our community pure as we reach out. Holy Spirit, would you strengthen us as individuals, as families, as a spiritual family? Would you give eyes and ears to our minds and bodies and hearts as we receive your sacrament and are thereby strengthened and sent back into the world with a bodily knowledge of your good news. Holy Spirit, speak to our souls in this moment. Strengthen and encourage us. Amen.